0: or and so forth So this evening I was as is as is often the case on Tuesday night, I was during the course of the sitting I was thinking about the the affairs of the day or the affairs of the week, what's happening in the world and because I want whatever we do here and speak about to be relevant to our lives and and naturally my memory or my mind was drawn to the the massacre of 140, I think mostly children, this morning in in Afghanistan, and by the Taliban, and just the just almost unimaginable awfulness of that, and unspeakable suffering for likely those children, their their families, the community, the ripple effect of. Of that, where we can become so uh, numb to the enormity of of pain that happens every day uh, in our lives and in the in the world around us, and and then we ask ourselves, you know, how do I how do I hold all of that? What do I what do I do with that? How do I uh, how do I manage that? Because it's just one heartbreak after another. I think I started last week with the same, with the same basic feeling and commentary, and the when I reflect on the, the teachings, that this is exactly what the Buddha suggested was the um, was that which we need to not um, dwell on not become identified with the pain in the world, but turn toward it, open to it, see it just the way it has come to be. See it the way it is. Not to pretend that we don't have a... that there isn't just an enormity of awfulness. I wanted to entitle this evening Awful. Or Awful Part 3. Part 2 was last week. Part 1 was the week before. And each week, of course, there, the, we wouldn't be here if we didn't want the Dharma, this word Dharma. Dharma is often, in this loose way, means the, the teachings, the, the, way, the, uh, the teachings of awakening as expounded by the Buddha. We want the, the Dharma to be a, um, a benefit, a way to navigate this world of awful uh, in such a way that it turns that it it transforms the difficulties as only a, a human being can experience that capacity to transform the difficulties difficulties of life into what we would loosely call happiness not the happiness of a good mood but the happiness that comes from from acceptance from being at peace with life from being from ending the tendency to be in a constant state of contentiousness with reality, instead coming into harmony with things the way they are. And letting and letting the the awfulness be the the tenderizing effect of our hearts rather than the um, rather than the uh, common reaction of of closing down of blaming of demanding of um, of numbing uh, all the strategies that even though they are an attempt to deal with the enormity of pain in our life, just add to it, compound it, make it uh, more complicated and then the the tendency of our mind to live so much in our thoughts that we lose contact with, um, with the source of sustenance, that which can then hold us in times of awfulness, which is our feeling of sangha, of connection. And when I say sangha in this way, I mean the sangha of connection with life, that all life is our sangha. Our sangha isn't just this little group that meets every Tuesday. That's a kind of sangha. But our real sangha is are all the creatures, all the beings, all the, everything that moves inside of you, that moves inside of me, everything that life moves through, is our sangha. And to the degree that we get wound up and lost in our isolated world of of um, reactivity, we lose touch with a with that sustenance that which can actually support us. And so this is why we practice. We practice to find a way to stay intimate with life and at the same time not, um, not become overly idealistic, not to get caught up in the happily ever after idea and then judge ourselves for not being able to be happily ever after. Um, think that Even think that uh, the teachers or the people offering teachers or teachings are happily ever after. Every one of us has to continually make the clear choice, the clear intention to be happy, to be well, to be able to sit in the middle of our life, to decide moment by moment, day by day, I am going to be awake and happy. I am going to keep my heart open in hell. No matter what. Because that, that intention is a reminder that that stuff is difficult to bear. But our way of reacting to it, and relating to it, is what determines whether or not we have mental suffering. Or the... the Excessive mental suffering. Everybody will have some mental suffering. But most of our mental suffering is optional. It has everything to do with the way that we relate to what has been presented to us. <clears throat> presented to us externally, presented to us so-called internally. And that's what we choose every day. I am going to relate to my life in a way that brings me well-being and happiness, not, not I'm going to, I'm a victim of, of life and I can't be happy. As one teacher says, there are no victims, and this is not an absolute statement, this is a useful working principle. There are no victims, there are only volunteers. I like that in terms of the working principle of seeing, at least asking myself. What am I doing in the way that I'm relating to my life experience that's adding to suffering? Uh, how am I volunteering my suffering? Or how am, I, how am I creating in my mind, just through the way that I orient to life, this sense of victimhood? The Buddha, in his first, what was called the uh, maha, what was it called? The, um, the, I forgot the first part of it, but it's basically the Dhamma Chaka Sutta. The Dhamma means Dhamma, the, the, the truth, the wheel, the, the teachings. Chaka is chakra, is from the Sanskrit wheel when he first turned the wheel of the Dharma, started his ministry, he, the first thing that he said is, life has within it dukkha. Dukkha. Dukkha is the mark of all existence. It, all existence is marked with dukkha, which means that if you are born into this world of experience there are things in this world that are difficult to bear. In even the best of circumstances, there is always going to be some squeaky wheel. Sometimes the word dukkha is translated as wheel out of round. That I often think of the example of the when I start to talk about dukkha, about the the ideal that our minds project of that experience that will make us incredibly happy. That purchase, that vacation, that weekend, that person, and yet each, even though that experience, that person, that thing may be filled with all sorts of pleasure. There is inherent in any kind of experience something that's a little bit unsatisfactory. Have any of you noticed that? The meal, there's something a little... The person, there's many things you want to change. The weekend isn't quite as continuously joyous. The vacation, which is where so much projection of idealized expectations are put often is marked with indigestion or, <laughs> or or something that's hard to bear even in the best of circumstances the person who has everything in the world there is still that person's life is still marked with unsatisfactoriness partly because we know that everything is vulnerable, fragile, subject to change, subject to loss. Everyone is born; who is born dies. We know that. We know that by reflection, by logic, by obviousness, by what we see every day. And this creates a feeling of, this is a little challenging being here. It's, it's not so easy. It's not so easy to be born into this world. You notice how the babies just let out blood curdling screams. Not easy to be to go through the process of development. Not easy to age. I see my mother 88 even though she's one of those centenarian types. She's she's likely but you can see it's not easy to go through that whole, the whole aging thing. And, and as many of you know, she lost her closest sister last week, and I went to, to be with her. Not easy. Not easy to get old. Not easy to experience loss. Not easy to be, deal with it. Her throat was hurting and everything. You know, one, it's the definition of dukkha, if it's not one thing, it's another that's true for everyone. It's not just one person. And the tendency, what tends to add to that, the burden of of challenge that dukkha brings in our life is that it all gets so personalized. It all, we somehow think we're the only one or somehow it's, it, it seems, it's so bound up in me and mine and and even that is me and mine, is also filled with dukkha, filled with, un, with insecurity. And as soon as I'm somebody, or I think I'm somebody, I think of myself as, as, as um, bound up in time. You know, I've come from the past, I'm, I'm passing through here on my way to the future, and time's running out. So even being somebody is a source of stress just being somebody do you know anybody that's immune to that and and when we're somebody our relationship to the present moment the only place that we live and everything that shows up in it is it, it's often this, this place that where we're living we're passing through it it's it seems like, it's not quite the right place. Like, I should be somewhere else. My life should be different than the way it is. It should be the way I imagined it. It should should be the way it was. Or And then, our suffering compounds. And then it moves into, the, something's wrong. So that's often a feeling, the feeling of dukkha. And then as it's increasingly personalized, something's wrong with me. All of this is our, our mind's reaction to the basic fact that life is tough. Even my daughter Molly, 11 years old, and she just very casually said to my wife last week, life sucks and then you die. This is an 11-year-old. But she's seeing it. She's seeing Dukkha. Now, the Buddha did not suggest building a monument to Dukkha and becoming the great knower of Dukkha and then being proud of being a great sufferer. As I mentioned so many times here, the Buddha was called the happy one. But the happiness has come because of the way he navigated the facts of life, the way he navigated dukkha, the way he navigated the awfulness that shows up every day. From the awfulness to just the the queasy, to the unsatisfactory, to the wheel out of round. The whole range. It's how he dealt with that what he learned about dealing with that that allowed him to experience what's often been called the, sheer, the sure heart's release. And the sure heart's release is as simple as, on one hand as letting go. Letting go of, of the tendency to be in contention with reality. That's the simple version. But that letting, you can't just let go. You can feel that that you're letting be. You can feel, you can moment by moment, you can can just relax. You can stop building, you know, stop fighting so much. Try it for a moment. Just let go right now. Just let go just a little bit. And maybe as Ajahn Chah said, you'll have a little peace. Let go. He said, of course, if you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, You'll have complete peace and freedom. But letting go is not something you can really do. That's, that's all bound up in ego. We can relax a little bit. We can let be. We can stop fighting for a moment. But the letting go the, that produces that sure heart's release of the Buddha is one that comes as an inevitable result of seeing life clearly. The idea is that, that it is wisdom it is wisdom that teaches our hearts to let go and to love. It's the wisdom of seeing, yes, if you're born, it's there's a lot that's hard to bear. How can you be hard on yourself in the face of that? It starts to be absurd to take it all personally and blame yourself for how hard life can be. So naturally, if, as I... As I experience and I see my mother going through the loss of her sister and I see the vanishing of her relatives and as I see the vanishing of my own, my whole sea of so many, so few of my relatives are left. It's amazing. But as I see that, that the vulnerability of life, the, how, can I, how can you respond in any way other than, oh, that's hard. I care about that suffering. But yet somehow as we struggle through there's a tendency to think oh I'm it's all about me. I'm doing this. I'm it's my fault. Everybody else seems really happy. Don't believe it. It is possible to be happy. But the the happiness of of Living in La La Land—it's not real happiness. It's a good mood, and it may go on for a long time, but it's—it's it's very fragile, very vulnerable, and you keep having to keep having to run from silence in order to keep the keep the pleasures going. The Buddha's letting go. The happiness of a Buddha is the happiness of just stopping, sitting right in the middle of it, and saying, "Just let me step." out of time. Step off of this wheel of fighting with reality. Choose to be well right now. Not postpone for one moment. Not set myself up for endless waiting for a future that never arrives. Endless hope and expectation. Right now, stop. Open to my life. Open first to our bodies. Of course, if we haven't been used to opening to our bodies, it's it's a, a rude awakening. Insight at the beginning of coming back to our bodies is often bad news. They hurt. They're restless. They're anxious. They're vibrating. They're... They're a mess. But when we experience that, how could you do, if we really open to that, how could you be hard on yourself about that? You have to, in the face of opening to the dukkha of our bodies, how can I care for you? How can I love you? What have I been missing? I've been I've ab- I've neglected and abandoned you. Okay, I I how can I care for you? Not oh, you idiot. Everybody else seems so relaxed and I'm so uptight. So stressed. My mind is so busy. Do you think you have the, you're have? you the only one with a busy mind? Busy mind and a human body that is tense go hand in hand. Nobody's immune to that. One way to increase that busyness of your mind is to fight with it. It's to judge it. And judge yourself. So the Buddha's teaching was essentially life, has within it things that are hard to bear. It's not easy. Life sucks, and then you die. <laughs> but what turns, that, and and your your job is to is to um, is to meet it with a with a kind, relaxed, if you can. Interested attention. Be open. And when I say life, I don't mean just just this body, but the world. What we experience, internal mindfulness, external mindfulness. Both internal and external. And... stop pretending it's it's meant to be so perfect it's perfectly imperfect perfectly unsatisfactory unreliable in a state of change and, and insecurity that's that's the name of the game so this the buddha said open to this don't don't be pollyannish don't just try to look at life in an unvarnished way to the extent that you can. Come off, pull off your shroud of protection and and take a look. It'll kill you. (laughs) You It won't kill you. It will kill you. But life will kill you. (laughs) I like the Wiley's definition of birth, the leading cause of death. So that's the first thing the Buddha said. That's the that may be the hardest part of it. The second part is the beginning of the of the, the solution, not just open to it, that's an important part. But to notice also what causes what causes our basic fundamental dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness and difficulty of existence. What turns it into excessive mental suffering, what he called the cause of the dukkha, is this um, this chronic, repetitive, entrenched tendency of our mind to want things to be other than the way they are. That expresses itself in our thinking in our actions as as um, craving as wanting being in a constant state of wanting what I don't have and also the reverse of that not wanting what I do have craving and aversion grasping and condemning craving for pleasures for that keep that wheel going of Of filling my mind with pleasurable things, that actually makes us less and less happy. Because it just keeps creating in our mind the feeling that I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. I have to have something in order to be happy. And lost in that constant search for a pleasurable experience is the The peace and the potential peace and happiness. Well-being of sitting right in the middle of our life. The relief that comes from the cessation of seeking our well-being elsewhere. A relaxing of that tightness that comes from waiting and hoping and expecting. We don't even realize often, because our desires are so much associated with, on the surface with pleasant images, we don't even realize, until we pay attention, don't realize that the state of waiting and wanting is a state of constriction, it's a state of tension. Literally every day that we postpone our happiness for something or some place or some time, we're conditioning, we're strengthening a feeling of tension and holding and waiting and I call it postponing, relief. We don't have to wait to be well, to, to let go, to let be. We don't have to wait. But our mind is, is in that... Um, it gets easily tricked by the by Mara who says, Go out in search of the fulfill the golden dreams. There is someone out there who you will have perfect sensual relations with. There is that 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 amount of money that will allow you to feel at ease. There is that look, that hairdo, that outfit. There is something that will do it for you. And we're all seduced in some way by a view that something will make me happier than I am. This is the mind that is in a state of craving and it has the effect of making us run from run from dukkha by running by actually increasing it we're literally running toward the very thing we're running from we're increasing the sense of dissatisfaction, dis-ease, unsatisfactoriness. Every time we're caught on the wheel of waiting, of hoping, dreaming about the perfect whatever. The end of... And I think it's a beautiful thing to dream and to plan and to fantasize. But... What the Buddha did with that is said, Mara, I see you. And you can keep coming to visit all you want, but I know that whatever you're telling me I need. And in his case, Mara said, You know, you don't, who do you think you are? You, don't, you, you can't be enlightened. You know, there's so much to experience in life, there's so many places to go, people to see, things to do, things to buy. So much excitement. And Buddha said, Mara, I see you. You're just asking me to build another edifice of identity that's going to become the great acquirer, the great world teacher or whatever. He said, no, I want to be free. I want to be free now. I don't want to postpone. I don't want to run anymore. The running from silence, the running from presence, the running from dukkha has only increased my dukkha, my feeling of dissatisfaction. I want to cure the fatigue that I feel from this endless running. I'm exhausted trying to be other than the way I am. So the Buddha said this, um, the cause of this wheel of, of samsara, of endless waiting and wanting is this tendency to be caught in craving craving for existence, craving for non-existence, craving for stuff and it's um, and there's and what you need to do with this is uh, is just see that for what it is and let it go Let go. Just let the the cravings drift through your consciousness. Don't be bound up in them. And of course, pleasure, because it brings with it so much, that whenever we experience so much pleasure as there is in this world, you always want more. But learn how to experience pleasure, the joys of this world, and to let them go. Let them arise and pass away. Learn how to meet everything in life, the inevitable arising and passing of everything with a great heart that says, I see the way life is. Everything that has the nature to arise has the nature to pass away. Don't try to hold on to the pleasurable. Don't try to push away the painful. That just adds to your dukkha. Let go. Abandon this clinging, this craving, this attachment to things, to people, to situations. Learn to, to uh, have serenity with change. Let go. Abandon the cause of suffering. Then the Buddha said, uh, well, the third thing he said in his first talk is, there is the capacity to end this madness of endless waiting and hoping. There is, this, there is an experience that you can have. That It is with everyone's capacity to, to, um, to release one's uh, tendency to turn basic unsatisfactoriness into mental suffering. And this experience of letting go, of freedom, must be realized. It is within your capacity to realize that for yourself. It's, not, it's just in your nature to let go. You can do that. Just as it is in your conditioning to hold on, it's within your natural condition to let go. But you have to choose it. The Buddha was filled with that desire to be free. He didn't want any more stuff. He wanted to be free. And we have to be honest with ourselves. What do you want more? Do you want more stuff or do you want to be free? Well, my mind's dancing. Well, I want a little stuff. I want. kind of want to be free. <laughs> But that it is that clear intention. Remember what the Buddha said to his his father when he wanted to he didn't want to take over all the the lands of the so-called kingdom. He, he said for me to be a, a prince, to to have all this stuff and all this accoutrement, he said, for me, this would be like sitting on a bed of coals if there's no peace in my heart. I want to be free. I don't mean free to to gallivant here or there. I want my heart to to sing with the sense of I'm in harmony with life. I'm not fighting with it. I want to care about life. I want to care about myself. I want to care about other people. How can I do that when I'm in a when I'm raging? When I'm in a state of of, when I'm this hungry ghost, the hungry ghost is a is symbolic of a of the it's a considered a plane of existence, but it's it's a it's called a plane of existence where beings have little mouths and huge stomachs insatiable. Unsla- what's called craving is sometimes called unslakable thirst, that cause of suffering. So I don't want to be a hungry ghost. I don't want to go through my life with a little mouth and a huge stomach. But that's literally the culture that we live in. But it is possible, even in the midst of that, to experience again and again a release of the heart, of that tight fist of grasping. That there is within each of our capacity this vacuous space openness, clarity, and it is so, as I've been saying in the last weeks, it is so close. It is so wonderful. It is your own natural state, and you've been ignoring it for another. And this state of wakefulness, of openness, as Derek Walcott said, it knows you by heart. says stop all the drama says if you do this you will love the one you will love the stranger who is your your innermost nature that's Derek I'm just paraphrasing Derek Walcott and the Buddha said there is within there is within you this capacity to be free and you must realize it and then finally, he said, there's a path to deal with dukkha. And the the center of that path is the cultivation, which I talked about last week, the cultivation of moment-to-moment mindful attention. I don't know if any of you saw 60 Minutes on Sunday. It featured a, a whole piece on mindfulness, and Anderson Cooper went to a retreat, and then the... You can go on the 60-minute site and it talks about uh, how it changed his life. And he's te- definitely drunk the, he's drunk the Kool-Aid. He saw the way it dramatically changed his relationship to reality. He's now sitting every day. But essentially, mindfulness is the center of the, of the noble eightfold path way of dealing with with dukkha wonderful way of dealing with this difficult life is to create wonderful relationships and when i say wonderful relationships i mean relationships of of mutual care of non-harming of de- of cultivating uh, this a deep reverence for the the life around you not killing not stealing not being careful in our sexual relationships, being careful with our speech, this is something we can all practice and it makes our life more harmonious. Even though it's still marked by dukkha, it allows us to be to rest in the middle of things. If we're not if we're not struggling moment by moment with the effects of what we say or did or who we exploited or what we stole or what we've lied about, we can relax. And even though the world in so many ways is awful, we don't have to be awful. In fact, we have to we have to the world needs happy people. It needs well people. It doesn't need to add to it by our unconsciousness. As Jack Gilbert says, we have to risk delight and And all that goes with being happy in his poem called A Brief for the Defense. Sorrow everywhere. Slaughter everywhere. How appropriate today. If babies are not starving someplace, they are starving somewhere else. With flies in their nostrils. But we enjoy our lives because that's what life wants. That's our capacity. Otherwise, the mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine. The Bengal tiger would not be fashioned so miraculously well. The poor women at the fountain are laughing together between the suffering they have known and the awfulness of their future, smiling and laughing while somebody in the village is very sick. There is laughter every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta and the women laugh in the cages of Bombay If we deny our happiness, resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of the world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. If the locomotive of life runs us down, we should give thanks that the end had magnitude. We must admit that there will be music despite everything. We stand at the prow again of a small ship anchored late at night in the tiny port, looking over to the sleeping island. The waterfront is three shuttered cafes, one naked light burning. To hear the faint sound of oars and the silence as a rowboat comes slowly out and then goes back is truly worth all the years of sorrow that are to come. How can we hear those oars that lapping of waves if we're spinning so fast? have to stop. We can be happy in the midst of it. So the training of our... our, Oh, wow, it's late. Training of our attention, training of our ethics and morality, the training of our mind for concentration and mindfulness, and the deepening of our understanding that... Things are the way they are in life. Life has within it things that are difficult to bear. It's not my fault, not your fault. That's what happens if you're born. And uh, so in the face of that, let's cultivate generosity and non-harming and uh, mindfulness and turn our life into something Deeply satisfying in in a world of unsatisfactoriness, deeply nourishing, and let each of us have experienced the sure heart's release. It's possible. As one as Tiknad Han said, no mud, no lotus. So let's sit. I'd like us quietly, since this is my last time this year, I'd like to commit to the training guidelines of a person who enters the Dharma. I undertake the training guideline to refrain from killing living beings to practicing reverence for life. I undertake the training Precept to refrain from stealing, taking that which is not given. I undertake the precept to refrain from causing harm with my sexuality. I undertake the training guideline to refrain from false speech, harsh speech, untimely speech, speech that causes harm. And I undertake the training guideline to refrain from taking intoxicants to the point of of carelessness and heedlessness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Keep my mind clear, my heart open. And I thought that we would chant The commitment to virtue, uh, a one line call and response in Pali. And I'll tell you what it means in English once we chant it. Idam me silam, Idam me silam, maga fala, sa May this virtue of mine bring about knowledge of the path and its fruit, bring happiness and well-being. So may our practice today and every day be um, the cause of happiness, well-being for ourselves, for all beings may our practice be dedicated every day to the welfare and benefit of all and may any of the fruits and the benefits the goodness the merit any any goodness that has arisen from our practice let it be shared with everyone we touch and may our, may our practice be an um, an ornament to this world that needs it And thank you all so much for your practice this year. And please uh, enjoy the last two times of the year. Yvonne has been, uh, she's carried us to the end of the year, the last many, many years. And uh, it's always a special time to come to practice. I'm just not going to be here, but please come. Anyway, continue your practice, and thanks again. Thanks for hanging in there. I know we're a little late. And, and thank you for the whole year of your support, support of each other, supporting me, your generosity of spirit. And thanks for all the volunteers. Thanks for for everyone. Love you all. So long. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.